TED Audio Collective. Tired of unnecessary payroll errors? Stop them in their tracks. With Paycom, employees do their own payroll. They're able to identify errors and fix them before submission, right in the app. Because no one can afford for payroll to be wrong. Not HR and payroll teams, not leaders, and definitely not employees. Shorted paychecks, timesheet corrections, unentered sick days, missing overtime hours, and expense mistakes are, well, unnecessary for everyone. Manage the process to make payday right with Paycom. Learn more at paycom.com slash soundrise. That's paycom.com slash soundrise. Hi, I'm Debbie Millman. Canva is great for designing visual content for work, no matter what industry or department you work in. Now your next presentation with Canva Presentations. Start with a professionally designed template and use it as a springboard for your design. It's a serious time saver. Time to present but can't be there in person? Enter Canva Talking Presentations. Record yourself presenting and add your talking head to your slides so your audience can watch your perfected presentation anywhere, anytime. Start designing today at canva.com. Designed for work. This is Design Matters with Debbie Millman from designobserver.com. On this program, Debbie Millman talks with fashion journalist Kate Betts about Michelle Obama, her style, her fashion sense, and one of the things that really sets her apart. She is the first First Lady to have the most amazingly beautiful sculpted arms. That is the difference, and I think that people are threatened by that or uncomfortable with it somehow. Here's Debbie Millman. Design encompasses everything from architecture and urban planning to the visual arts and consumer products. But when most people think of design, they think fashion. As Kate Betts will tell you, fashion is more than clothes. It's about cultural statements. It's about tribes. It's about business. In other words, it's about who we are or who we think we are. Kate Betts is a fashion journalist who worked for Anna Wintour at Vogue and was the youngest editor ever of Harper's Bazaar, America's oldest fashion magazine. Currently, she is a contributing editor for fashion and design at Time Magazine and The Daily Beast. She is also the author of the just-published book, Everyday Icon, Michelle Obama, and the Power of Style. Kate, welcome to Design Matters, where today I am talking with a little bit of laryngitis, so please forgive my bit of a throaty conversational tone. <laughs> Thank you for having me. It sounds good. Perfect for the radio audio. Thank you. Well, your new book is about why style matters, and in particular, why the style of First Lady Michelle Obama matters. First, let's talk about style. Why does style matter? Well, um, one thing let me start with is people often confuse style and fashion. And that was one thing I set out right away to define the difference between the two, because fashion is really about the moment. Fashion is what people follow other people 
doing in the moment. Style is an individual thing. Style is the person who goes off on their own path and sticks to that path. And that is something that is consistent and lasting, whereas fashion is changing all the time. And I think that especially in today's culture where everything moves so quickly, we often confuse the two. And when people talk about the first lady, they say, oh, she's so into fashion. But she's really not into fashion. I mean, her clothes are not fashionable. They are not exactly like the clothes you see on the runway, you know, next week or three months ago. They're stylish. They're her style. They're an expression of her style. And when we talk about first ladies and why style matters, I think also first ladies, especially in the last 50 years, when they really mirrored the rise of feminism in this country, the first lady was really the public expression of the battles and triumphs of feminism. And women and men forgot about the importance of style in the White House as an expression of the administration and the sort of emotional tone of the administration in the White House. And... um, how much the First Lady embodied that and how important that is for people, the people of the United States, to have a visual image of somebody in the White House who is leading the country, not just the president, but a family or a couple. And that's a perfect example of why style matters, because we don't have access, you and me, to the Obamas. We can't walk into the White House and ask them a question. We don't have that. We have an an image of them, and we see them in appearances like when they speak, or when they host people in the White House and there is a lot of pomp and circumstance, those are the visual moments when we see them expressing themselves. Otherwise, we have access to them through these photographs that we see of them. And Michelle Obama, more than the president, is the one that we see in the most casual day-to-day photograph imagery coming up on the web, you know, almost like paparazzi pictures. So that's how we relate to her, and that's where we sort of take the temperature of what's going on and, and how, how are they doing? How are they, how are they feeling? You know, how's the country feeling? I recently saw on a website where the coat that Michelle Obama was wearing when she went to the funerals of those that were shot in Arizona a few weeks ago. She was wearing a purple Narciso Rodriguez coat that you actually describe quite wonderfully in your book. And the commenters on the blog were talking about how it was the perfect coat for the event because the purple color was somber and respectful. And it also was the combination of red and blue and therefore was signifying how it was bringing people together, both sides mm-hmm. of politics. I wonder if, if you feel that that was exactly what uh, the First Lady was trying to say that day with that coat. Well, I do think that that was very symbolic. And I think that um, purple is also a very emotional color and a color, a very psychological, deep color. It can be very mysterious. It can also be a royal color. Um, but it's a complex color. But I think also with if you think of the State of the Union, Barack Obama was wearing a purple tie that night also. And, in, you know, that happens a lot in Washington. Um, although I have to say more and more you see red or blue, not purple. Um, but, yeah, she uses her clothes and the color of the swearing in ceremony outfit, obviously, the famous lemongrass coat and dress. Ah, that Isabel was also Toledo. a color. What a magnificent outfit. Yeah, and it was very um, calculated also to sort of 
symbolized new beginnings and rebirth, and there was a little bit of shine to it and texture, so it was almost undefinable, um, very hard to to label that color. I remember the morning when she first came out of Blair House, journalists were, you know, trying to figure out, was it gold? Was it yellow? Was it green? You know, what color is that? And uh, that's that's a very interesting calculation on her part, too. Always be a little bit mysterious. Kate, the type of clothes that we wear signal who we are more than they ever have before. We use our clothes to telegraph something about ourselves that we want to convey. And I and I feel like that is also changing more and more frequently with celebrity, with somebody like Lady Gaga, who every single time she shows up somewhere, she's a completely new persona. Well, I think it's true that clothes have always done that. The idea of of using material signifiers to indicate your status in life or your somehow an expression of your creativity or whatever it is. That goes all the way back to the founding fathers and to the monarchy of, you know, European monarchies. That's how they identified themselves as the leader. You know, what they wore was the signifier. And when the founding fathers created this country, they wanted to get away from that and they wanted to get rid of all the trappings of monarchy But they found after a while that they still needed some way to show people who was in charge. They just needed new trappings. Yeah. (laughs) And that's where somebody like Dolly Madison comes in because she's the one who realized that she needed to be the first lady. And so she got all these fabrics from Europe and wrapped these turbans around her head and put feathers in them and, you know, became this sort of social doyenne of Washington. And she was a real powerhouse. And people were really critical of her because they thought she was she thought she was royal and she was, you know, alluding too much to this monarchy idea that they had tried to get rid of. I think that's uh, something that's gone on historically forever. But I think that now it's so easy to manipulate it yourself. You know, you're not dressing to be a part of a society or a part of a court or a part of a, you know, neighborhood or a part of a school. Dressing used to be much, very much a community thing, a way to identify yourself with a group. And now everybody wants to identify themselves as a brand or mm. as, a, as their own brand. You know, Lady Gaga is the most perfect example of that. Madonna is obviously her predecessor in that vein. But I think people think about it more like, oh, this is who I can be. And it's the aspirational side of fashion I may not have the money, I may not have the job, but I can certainly dress to look like I do. So what made you decide to write a book about the First Lady of the United States? Well, it's interesting. I have always been interested in looking at fashion and style in a broader cultural context. And um, I always wanted to write about somebody or something that really personified the intersection of politics and fashion. It's something that I've always been interested. I'm a history student from college. And so I've been waiting for a while for the right thing to come along. And I was watching her on the campaign trail. I was watching the transformation of her image in the campaign trail, which was a very specific calculated moment when she went from the pinstripe suits and the kind of boardroom, tough lawyer, lawyer, woman, woman, success, super mom to the mom in chief in the 50s housewife dress and the flat shoes and the cardigan, you know, and it was almost overnight. She changed everything. And I thought, wow, this is she really knows what she's doing, you know, and playing right into what the Americans are looking for and expecting from a first lady, which is the hostess in chief, the mom in chief. 
But it wasn't until they took that first trip to Europe in April of 2009 when they went to meet the Queen and when they met with the Sarkozy's. I thought, you know, that pageantry of that trip and the way the world reacted to them and what they were wearing, what she was wearing, because he always wears the same thing, which is also calculated and plays off very nicely against his wife. But um, that really impressed me because it seemed like the world was riveted by her. And I realized this is a much bigger story than just America and, you know, America's obsession with first ladies. She's really a global signifier for this country. And most of that, up until that point, they were four months into the presidency, I think, she hadn't even really said anything. She had used only her image and her appearance to express what was going on in her transition into the White House. And and I thought that was fascinating. She had not announced any of her causes. The healthy eating campaign didn't come for a year. So it was really interesting to see how she sort of set up shop, planted the garden, and through her image and appearance, told the story of what was going on. Well, it seemed that there was uh, this transformation that led up, in my mind, to election night. And when she came out in the lava lamp dress, the Narcissa mm-hmm. Rodriguez dress, I was shocked. I really was shocked. First of all, I, I happen to love Narcissa Rodriguez's clothes. But that particular dress was by no means my favorite. And this is like a crazy Rodriguez dress. And it's interesting because that did come off the runways of that particular season. And for me, it felt a little bit off because it seemed like such a quick transition. Here we had this super fabulous fashionista dress on the new first lady. And I, I was really surprised by the unconventional nature of it. Uh I actually loved it because I loved the fact that it was so surprising. And I thought that was her saying, "Okay, here we are. We've been elected. And this is me. I'm going to be surprising and unpredictable and redefine what's appropriate and go by my own rules. And I thought, you know, good for her. Right out of the gate, she made that statement. She could have come out in a Maria Pinto sleeveless dress or, you know, any number of things that were like what she had been wearing. But but that was a very calculated thing, too. Now, much has been written about whether or not Michelle Obama is a closet clothes horse. She does wear her Jimmy Choo kitten heels and all of her Alea belts. Or if she's a woman of great natural style, as you say, you know, fashion versus style. And it seems to be important to both Michelle and her staff that not too much emphasis is placed on the attention she gives to her appearance or to the intrigue that goes along with it. And I'm wondering what you think of that. Do you think she's a closet clothes Well, I think that I think you have to look at what style means to her. And that was one of the things I wanted to really try to get a grip on when I was researching the book. I wanted to understand the role that style had played in her life because she has an extraordinary life. I mean, she got somewhere where very few people thought she ever could. So I wanted to see it's easy to say, well, she's very smart and she, you know, she traded on her intellectual ability and got there. But there was something else there in her character and in her presentation. And I wanted to sort of investigate that and see how she had used style in that story, in that trajectory, really. Um, and I think it did play a really important part in her life. And, and I think that she is sort of a closet clothes horse. I mean, (laughs) anybody who makes that kind of effort has to be, you know, because we all know it is a giant effort. And she we know that she knows that 
it's part of the job and appearance is important. And many first ladies have written about their struggle with that, you know, from Rosalind Carter to Hillary Clinton to even Jackie. But I think that when you look at somebody like Michelle Obama, she seems to really enjoy it. She and does you seem can't to fake enjoy that. It. Yeah, she does. Yeah. How would you define Michelle Obama's style? I think our style is actually very classical and simple. Sleeveless dress, cardigan, pants with a top, belt, you know, and then the accessories. But I think her style is it's quite down to earth and simple and it's very feminine. Um, when we think of simple and down-to-earth and classical in America, we think of something that's very minimal and stripped down. But her style is not minimal. It's, it's simple, but it's not minimal. And that's the key. Let's talk about the dress that Michelle Obama chose for the state dinner that she and President Obama recently hosted in honor of the Chinese president. She chose a breathtakingly beautiful red Alexander McQueen gown with black details. Now, because McQueen was of British origin and not Chinese or American, her choice quickly became an extremely political one. None other than Oscar de la Renta and Diane von Fustenberg complained about her choice of dress. But frankly, I never thought she looked better. Well, she did. She looked extraordinary. The color of the dress was beautiful. Unbelievable. She obviously was making a nod to the Chinese symbolism of red, which is luck and success. But I think, you know, it's interesting. I think in many ways, I think she did that on purpose, too, because I think she was trying to show that, yes, it's America. Yes, there is a sort of national pride invested in her wearing an American designer. But you can never say that she hasn't been supportive of American designers. I mean, she has supported a whole new generation of designers, and she does it very consistently. So I think there was some bit of, hey, this is a global stage. We live in a global economy now. It's not really just China versus America anymore. You know, it's more complex than that. And and I think she does send a very strong message often on occasions like that. And I do think that she was probably saying something more to that effect with that dress. Now, this was the second time that Oscar de la Renta has complained about what she's worn. He also complained about the cardigan that she wore when she went to visit the Queen of England, when she touched the Queen of England. Mm -hmm. Um, But he joins a long legion of people who have complained about her asymmetrical Junior Wantanabe cardigan, which is one of my favorite cardigans of hers, her bare arms, the touching of the Queen, the wearing a cardigan in front of the Queen, the wearing shorts, disembarking Air Force One, and of course her lava lamp dress, the Narcissa dress. Why is she so criticized? Because people are struggling to understand the rules. And when you start changing the rules, people get nervous, I think. And she is redefining what's appropriate. And she is showing a new generation of people what's appropriate. I mean, Oscar de la Renta is in a very different generation than she is. And so what's appropriate for him is not what's appropriate for her. You think he's just mad that she's not wearing any of his clothes? There might be a little sour grapes there. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, you know, he's dressed a lot of first ladies, so I think he he's probably fine with that. Um, but I also think that she, um, you know, she, she's not the first first lady to wear shorts on vacation. She's not the first first lady to wear bare arms in Congress. No, I saw a fantastic picture in the book of Jacqueline Kennedy yeah. wearing a sleeveless sheath at one of the uh, 
speeches. Yeah. She is the first first lady to have the most amazingly beautiful sculpted arms. That is the difference. And I think that people are threatened by that or uncomfortable with it somehow. So you talked a little bit about her image changing over time. There was a time not so long ago when Michelle Obama and President Obama, before he was president, were on the cover of The New Yorker, fist bumping. And um, I think at that point, Michelle Obama was considered sort of an angry black woman. Mm -hmm. How do you think that that had – you said it was a very deliberate, very conscious change. Do you think that it was really just about clothes? Do you think there was more than that going on? No, I don't think it was just about clothes. I don't think it's ever just about clothes. I think clothes are the superficial signifier. But – I think she, you know, she was coming on very strong. She had opinions. She was a very powerful public speaker on the campaign trail. She was making these stump speeches that were threatening to people. She comes from the Ivy League. The Obamas are considered quite elitist in that way, and that was threatening to a lot of Americans. She was really a liability at one point. At one point, she really was a liability. And then that Fox News kind of angry black woman comment reverberated around, you know, the television set. And I think that's when she made the very calculated decision to change her image and soften her speeches and and really focus on being the future American mom in chief, you know, the hostess. That 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 criticism um has a lot to do with race obviously, but it also has a lot to do with feminism. You know, America still wants the first lady, even if she's not the first lady yet, the potential first lady, to live in the White House and be a hostess. It's a very traditional, narrow view of things. And it is, and the people, I speak about them as the people, the public wants that to be um, the way the first lady lives in the White House. They don't want it any other way. Look at Hillary Clinton when she had an office in the West Wing. Not possible. I mean, they, people were pissed off that she used her maiden name as part yeah. of her whole name. Yeah. So, you know, Hillary fought the the good fight for all of that and paved the way for Michelle Obama. Um, but Michelle Obama learned from Hillary a lot. And I'm sure that Hillary advised her because she did not make those mistakes. She she immediately, even before she got to the White House, she assumed the role of the hostess. And that is such an old-fashioned word, but that is really what it is, the nation's hostess. You know, I never felt that Hillary Clinton managed to pick a style that worked while she was first lady. Yeah, she found the, the pantsuit uniform after, I guess, she left the White House. But... um. I think she struggled with it a lot. I know she wrote about that a lot in her memoir. And I think she felt like, like many women before her, you know, why does this matter? Why why not if I just work hard and do a good job? Doesn't that count for something? And, you know, yes, of course it counts for something. But you can't have one without the other. You really do have to pay attention to both. In in your book, you declare that one of your favorite photos of Michelle has her wearing turquoise jeans and Converse sneakers, and she's walking her dog, Bo, at the time. Why is that photo so special to you? Well, I think it's something – I remember seeing that picture and thinking, wow, this is a way – you know, we're seeing the First Lady for the first time in this context, really. I don't even think we even saw Hillary – like that. You know, whenever Hillary came out, she was usually always wearing a pantsuit or something a little more formal. And I love that picture of Michelle because it is so every day. You know, it could be any one of us walking the dog in jeans or listening to our iPod. And and there is a sense of casual ease about her that I think is is so authentic. And that's what people can relate to. 
Let's talk about another first lady. We started to talk a little bit about Jackie Kennedy a few moments ago. You write that she was probably the first first lady to read magazines like French Vogue in the private quarters of the White House. But Jackie was formal. Michelle is much more casual. So what do you think the big differences are between the time of dressing Jackie O and the time of dressing Michelle Obama? Well, you know, I think that we see, we think of Jackie mostly in two dimensions. We see her in photographs. We rarely see her in three dimensions because there's not that much film footage of her. But when you go back and look at the film footage of her giving the tour of the White House when she did the redecoration of the White House, it's really interesting because she doesn't look like she looks in the pictures that are the iconic images of her. You mean perfect and She doesn't look as perfect or she doesn't look as groomed as we expect people like her to be groomed today. Really? Which is weird. I don't know. She just, you know, her hair is like sort of not out of place, but it's it's kind of not as sleek and perfect as a celebrity's hair would be or as Michelle Obama's hair would be. Her her clothing looks really like kind of thick and almost dowdy compared to what, you know, we've cuz we we think of Jackie and we think of the what the reincarnations of her style are. So the things that are contemporary that are, that are evocative of her style is what we think of. We don't think of her exact clothes and what they look like. I mean, it was the early 60s. Clothing was much different then, you know, it was not made with a lot of um, lycra and and blended threads. It was it was all wool or all cashmere. It was much heavier and denser and and so I think it's interesting when you see somebody like her in three dimensions, there's a very different feeling about her, a much more human feeling, you know, the sound of her voice. Which is so surprising which given is, the way she looks. Yeah, which was also surprising in those when the film came out. But but that's also something, you know, the, the sound of someone's voice is something with their style. You know, it all goes together. And she was really the – she was the first first lady to be on color television. And she was – you know, and that did bring a new dimension to things. And just like Michelle Obama is the first lady that we've really uh, watched, you know, every minute of the day on the Internet, the photos come out and, uh, you know, you can access them. You can go to GettyImages.com and look at what she's wearing. So she does have to have a different um, outfit on every day or whatever. You know, she has to be very aware of her appearance, whereas Jackie Sometimes Jackie wasn't even in the White House for state dinners. She was on her farm in Virginia. You know, she didn't even attend all of the state dinners that Kennedy had. You write about how Jackie's fashion diplomacy was telegraphed in the perfectly pressed dresses and shades of melon and peony, the colors of India, matching hats and crisp white gloves. But Michelle takes style diplomacy to a whole new level, using her every gesture and movement to connect with people. And I do feel that Michelle connects with people in a way that no other first lady has. And can you talk a little bit more about how she does that? Well, it's interesting. The, the, obviously, the, the appearance and the clothing is the first level of that connection. But a lot of the times I went down to the White House to cover events that she was hosting there, when I was researching the book, I was so blown away by her ability, what I call Michelle's reach, because she, much more than the president even, um, 
has this ability to reach out to people. And I think in many ways, those long, beautiful sculpted arms are very symbolic of that. She always hugs people. She always reaches out to them with both hands. She has this incredible ability to take the focus off of herself and put it all on the person that she's talking to, which is a very charismatic thing. You know, when you think of other recent leaders who've had that, you think immediately of someone like Bill Clinton. But um, at every event, she was like that. She stayed around and said, made sure she said hello to everybody. And, you know, you don't see that many people in that public of a position who can go that distance, you know, connecting to people. So, Kate, I have to ask you a very, very important question. What are you wearing? What am I wearing right now? Yes. <laughs> That's funny you should ask because I had to do a TV appearance this morning and I was like, oh, God, what am I going to wear? Um, and I thought, I don't want to wear a suit because it's so corporate looking. But today I just felt like wearing a suit. This is a Chloe suit, actually. Um from when Phoebe Philo used to design there, and she cuts beautiful suits. So and I, I love it. And I'm wearing a J. Crew blouse. Ah, so a little mix and match. Yep. High, low. High and low. Yes. Now, did you, did you like the green, jade green gloves that Michelle wore on uh, the day that, she, that uh, President Obama was sworn in? I did. I thought... I liked the idea of, like, playing off the green of the coat, and I liked the idea of matching the gloves sort of to the shoes. And I loved the idea of J. Crew. I thought it was so amazing because I thought that was really symbolic of of the, you know, democracy of this whole moment and the fact that anybody in America knows what J. Crew is and knows where it is at the corner mall and can go there and and possibly own the same thing that the First Lady owns. Kate, thanks for joining me on Design Matters. Thank you for having me. It's fun. You can find out more about Kate Betts on her website, katebetts.com. I'd like to thank you for listening. And remember, we can talk about making a difference, we can make a difference, or we can do both. I'm Debbie Millman, and I look forward to talking with you again soon. Design Matters with Debbie Millman is recorded at the Masters in Branding Studio at the School of Visual Arts in New York City. It is produced by Curtis Fox Productions with technical assistance by Rainey Ortica and research by Jen Simon. The show is produced exclusively by designobserver.com. You can subscribe to this free podcast in the iTunes store. 